Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. As guest to today's podcast episode, I'd like to welcome Dr. Andrew Garrett, co-founder of Garrettisan, former president of DL Garrettisan, member of the supervisory board of DNVGL Energy. And Andrew, you also were chairman of the British Wind Energy Association, president of the European Wind Energy Association, chair of Bristol European Green Capital 2015 and honorary fellow of New College of Oxford. Very recently, you have retired from DNVGL and in your letter to your former colleagues, you mentioned that you have retired from DNVGL, but not from the carbon reduction effort and from championing of renewables. And this statement leads us right into the topic of today's episode. If we look into the targets which were agreed at COP21 in Paris December 2015, I think everybody signed up for imperative of climate change and there's a lot of hope on renewables. But you clearly see differences where countries are today and where they plan to go, i.e. increasing energy demand in Asia-Pacific versus stranding assets in the Western world. So if we talk about this whole decarbonization and climate change imperative, what would you see other than renewables is actually leading us into a decarbonized future? Yeah, well, maybe I can just step back uh, one stage, well, two stages, actually, because I was at the Copenhagen COP, which, as we all know, was a pretty disastrous or, or ineffective event. And I think COP21 in Paris really was an important milestone uh, for all of us. It's easy to have these huge talking shops. And actually, after Copenhagen, I did wonder whether this was a, a, a sensible uh, medium in which to have these discussions because it seemed to be so unwieldy. But COP21, I think, really has been a, an important uh, event, uh, an important event in the sense that uh, people really did come together. And, and, and unlike in the previous COPs where the, the developed countries were telling uh, the developing countries how to behave and what they should do, uh, this COP seemed to be a much, a much more cooperative one with the with the the poorer countries bringing to the table what they could do and what they wanted uh, and that was a very important different cultural shift as well as of course china and and america coming uh, in, in in a different uh, uh, um, with a different attitude to to to, to paris so <clears throat> we have an opportunity to to focus some some changes uh, around cop 21 and of course, the renewables is an important part of it. I, I have spent my whole life dealing with with, with renewables and, and electricity generation, so I know that I'm I am inclined, well, not inclined. I do focus entirely on the electrical sector, and, the, and I talk about energy when I mean electricity, and that's a very uh, lazy way to behave. So I can only really talk about about the, the power sector, less about about the other. Uh, important parts of, of our energy consumption. So renewables will play a vital role. And as I mentioned today, uh, it's an important day in, in Britain, 7.4 gigawatts going offline, uh, which is a very good step, but we have to replace it with something, or at least we have to replace some of it with something, because I think the other part of this discussion is how do we lose, how do we use uh, less energy? And that's, that's a, a much less glamorous part of the jigsaw. So uh, the glamorous bit is, is generating electricity from new technologies and new forms, but perhaps as important, or perhaps <clears throat> actually more important, is using less, or indeed using our assets more wisely. So there's this 
this is ubiquitous word smart that is now being bandied around by everybody. And, and the lowest level of smart is actually just common sense. If, if you have if you have an asset in the form of a power station or a grid, it just makes sense to use it as efficiently as you can. And frankly, we haven't done that in, in, in previous times, really since electricity generation started in an industrial way. Uh, we've just had it on full blast and hope for the best. And, and now we, we are getting really quite a different approach, partly as a result of of better measurement technology and, and cheap computers and, and communications. Uh, but partly, I think, uh, as a result of us all thinking more deeply about what we should be doing. So to answer your question, for us, certainly, uh, um, renewables is a key part. Uh, I think smartness or common sense, there's a smart grid, smart use. Also, electric cars, I think, uh, can be a good medium of, of storage as well as a, a way of improving uh, air quality. But perhaps most importantly, and this is the most difficult thing, and I've, I've come across this in, in, in my last year, having taken a year and a half out of the renewable energy business to do the European green capital, is cultural change. I think getting people to think uh, differently about what they're doing, to, to scrutinize their own behavior, their own energy use, and see what they can do personally uh, is, is an important step. So, so it's partly psychology, partly engineering, um, but renewals is an important part, but it's, and it's the part of which I know most about and probably which we are most concerned with in, in the company, um, but it's only a small part of, of a much bigger picture. Okay, I think I, I, one thing I, I found quite relevant on this COP21 is that, there is that they are honest about the fact that we do not know all the answers yet how mm -hmm. to get there. And uh, that brings me to that point um, when we talk about um, renewables. If we look, for example, at, at, at Germany, um, who have sometimes so much renewables that they have to send it uh, out to other countries. Um, and looking into your thought, you had much earlier already that you said, okay, let's not look as the single wind turbine, let's understand a wind farm maybe as a power plant, which I think we are more and more doing today um yeah. what what would you think has to happen there on a bigger scale i mean like the interconnection of countries allows us obviously um to do stuff uh, which we couldn't achieve in isolation yes so, so on that i think on that front there is a big chance especially for big countries like china but also for countries who have um uh, kind of set they want to work together like Europe um, mm. and to make that work what can happen on that on that angle well I, I think an interesting thing about renewables is that things happen along a whole spectrum of, of size so I mentioned just a few minutes ago cultural shifts and what we're, what we're now starting to see in the very small end is private individuals, uh, householders or small communities are starting to make their own electricity and are being allowed to make their own electricity because for some time that was actually illegal in some countries. Uh, so we have uh, community energy groups starting and using actually often PV rather than wind, but, but could, could be either uh, to, to generate electricity and reduce their energy uh, import uh, from the grid. So at the very small end, 
you have an important change. And that, that's an important part of the cultural shift because that's people starting to think much more deeply about their own uh, energy behavior and energy consumption. And right at the other end of the spectrum, you have what you're referring to, which is large scale uh, integration between different or national grids. And something which has been extraordinarily important, but often is not recognized, I think, is it's particularly in Europe, and let's talk about Europe to start with, and we can talk a bit further afield. But the the success of renewables in Europe has been driven to a very large extent, not exclusively, but to a large extent by the, the, the 2020 goals, or the 2020 goals uh, that were set some time ago, the, the legally enforceable uh, requirement to deliver a certain amount of energy from, from renewables. Um, I was responsible when I was president of the European Wind Energy Association trying to try and have something similar in the 2030 goals, and I'm sorry to say that I failed. Uh, so that was a pity, uh, although we have other goals in there. In both the 2020 and the 2030 targets uh, are targets for integration, which you don't really read much about and, and, and people are often unaware of. But I think that's probably strategically, that's probably the most important thing. So there is a requirement to, to, to uh, have a, 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 um, a level of integration between neighboring countries uh, all over the European Union. Now, the, the, um, the level to which renewables can be exploited uh, depends very much on geographical aggregation. So the, 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 the aggregation of weather patterns over, over Europe. And we did a bit of work quite some time ago now where we compared the Netherlands with Ireland, you know, similar sort of land mass similar sort of wind exposure or the island's a bit better, but, but completely different in terms of um, their the electrical interconnectivity. So a depression passing uh, uh, over the Atlantic and into Europe goes over Ireland and then over Holland, uh, but, but its impact and, and its uh, available energy is dramatically different because of the level of inter interconnectivity. So I think looking, looking at this as a system, and you mentioned wind farms, a wind turbine or wind farm, uh, an individual turbine or a power station, you, you, you broaden that to looking at the whole system. And that's what we have to do. And what, it's actually what we have been amazingly bad at doing, I would say, uh, at individually as countries, uh, but also as the European Union. This is a, an interconnected system. And with the interconnection come problems, but also come huge benefits. So something which we as a company uh, are very well placed to do uh, with the legacy KEMA people, particularly uh, looking at the grids, the, the grid behavior and, 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 the, and the system as a whole is, is vitally important. Uh, I think you, you, you may know when I was running uh, GLGH, uh, we bought a small company uh, in Texas d doing uh, grid integration work, which was a very small step for us. It was about 30 people, 30 excellent people. Um, but what we, we, with the legacy KEMA, we got thousands of people. And the reason why I did that was I thought we were very well placed, extremely well placed with the, with the uh, renewable technology, but very badly placed with understanding how that integrates with the grid. And it, that is the key, the key uh, issue for us all to address. So the, the interconnection uh, gives us geographical aggregation uh, which gives us an opportunity for much higher levels of penetration uh, of renewables into our system as a whole. So 
the whole spectrum is important, right down to the individual houses, right up to, to the uh, European uh, grid and maybe a European market. And there are now quite a lot of interconnectors being built. Um, and we have an, a fascinating thing, for example, in, 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 in Morocco. You know, as you know, we've done a lot of work in Morocco. The, the wind speeds and the solar radiation in Morocco are really quite fantastic. There's also lots of space. Uh, there's an interconnector between Morocco and Spain, where at the moment the, the electricity is mostly going the other way from Spain into Morocco, but it could easily be reversed. Uh, and uh, that, that sort of system thinking, a large-scale system thinking, uh, I think is key to, to the, the future proper use of, of renewables and, that, and therefore decarbonisation. Right. I mean, it, that's actually quite uh, interesting also if you look at the time of the development of wind. I mean, one can probably argue that you have seen the birth of the wind industry. And I myself remember that I was like an 11 year old boy when I stand in front of the Grovia on the first research wind turbine in, in, uh, in Germany. Um, and so we have come now to be uh, a part of the solution for um, fighting climate change and having all these big topics now with interconnection and how do we enter renewables into grid. I would like to go back a little bit in time and understand when you started with this uh, making wind industry uh, something people talk about or developing this into a, a, a technology. What were the hopes at that time? I, I can't believe we had this big picture at that time already. What were the hopes in Europe at that time where we actually had enough energy um, where I think the sense for um, environment wasn't that well developed yet. What were the drivers that time to develop this technology? Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, question. And I think uh, perhaps just before I answer that question properly, there's a slight, slight tangent I'd like to take, um, which is to make sure uh, that we give adequate credit uh, to to the engineers involved in this business. We now, we're now often talking about policy and finance and regulation and, and all that stuff, which is very important. And that, that's, what, that's what was going on in, in, in COP. But none of this uh, works um, without the machines. And I think what we've seen over and over again in the last two or three or, three or four decades is engineers uh, rising to to the, whatever challenge is put before them. So we, we as a, a class of professionals in the engineering business, don't make enough of, of what we've achieved. I've got Airbus uh, to build us <clears throat> an electric plane. Uh, and that, that's been really, it's a small step towards zero or low carbon aviation, and it's a very early one, but it's a fascinating thing. And it was very interesting to see the uh, journalists uh, seize upon uh, this engineering development. I've also made sure, very sure when I've had to deal with politicians or, or the press, and we're talking about windmills, to ask them, how, you know, have you actually ever been to or seen cl uh, close up a, a big wind turbine? Because if you haven't, you have no idea uh, what, what, what the experience would be. So the, the, the awesome nature of, of the present generation of wind turbines is something to behold. So the, the evolution, <clears throat> the technical evolution uh, over, the la over my professional lifetime has been extraordinary. So what was the original motivation? The original motivation was actually, I suppose, similar to what we're dealing with now, but significantly different because it was before we'd ever heard of climate change. 
So climate change was not the motivation. The motivation was uh, the was twofold. I think the the the, the feeling that we should generate cleaner electricity and that was the way we put it so without uh, without um, emissions and slag and ash uh, coming from the coal power stations so that was a very basic feeling and then secondly it was the early oil crises that came to Europe where where we did have blackouts and outages as a result of the absence of, of oil and that made people think quite hard about uh, what the future might hold and particularly countries like Denmark, which didn't have any of its own oil to speak of, uh, took took a lead. So there was an ideological uh, motivation, making cleaner energy, uh, and there was an economic motivation, which was uh, re reducing our reliance on imported fossil fuels. But at the same time, it, when I start, so uh, I started in the wind business in '79, but I made my first windmill. Uh, in 71, uh, at home, didn't last very long, <laughs> um, but, but it was my first gesture. And am I, I'm actually, my, I can trace my own interest uh, in this back to, to a, a, a single lecture that was given to me when I was in Oxford uh, by Schumacher. Uh, and he, he came and, and gave us a lecture uh, about environmental issues uh, and and the future. And that certainly got me thinking, got me to make my first windmill and then uh, seven, eight years later uh, to get into into the wind business. But it, it's been uh, it's been a fascinating uh, experience. I think it's very un unusual to, to to experience really the birth uh, and, and uh, childhood or perhaps even adolescence uh, of, of a of, of an industry like I have. So when I started in 79, I could carry uh, a, a wind turbine blade on my back. And now the, the biggest, well, we, we designed, I think, the biggest windmill in the world for, for Samsung, and maybe not, maybe in superseded now, but uh, you know, that was two and a half times the size of, of, of Wembley Stadium. So we've seen in my own uh, professional experience, I've seen that, that, that transformation take place. Where my, uh, my, Wife's uncle was the chairman of Cleveland Bridge, uh, which is a big, it ma it's ma made a lot of the big suspension bridges uh, uh, around the world, including Sydney Harbour Bridge. Uh, and um, uh, my father talked to, to, to him um, at, at our wedding and said, he said, oh, Andrew's, my father said to my wife's uncle, uh, Andrew's thinking he's working seriously in this wind business, what do you think? And he said, uh, complete and utter waste of time. Uh, you should stop him immediately. <laughs> and, that, uh, and that stuck, not surprisingly, in my father's mind, although he was not put off. Uh, but, it, but it gives you a feeling uh, of, of what the, the, the uh, conventional engineers were thinking about at the time. So this was considered in those days to be a naive, eccentric uh, um, uh, activity. And, and, and you know, when we grew up, we, we would realize that the only way you can make electricity properly uh, is through burning coal. Uh, I'm glad to say that, that I've proved my wife's uncle wrong. Uh, and, and we now, I don't, I don't have the global numbers, but I, I do know that last year in the UK, 21% uh, of our electricity was produced by wind, slightly more than by, by nuclear. That figure is rather higher uh, in, in Germany, clearly, and also in, 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 in other European countries, particularly Denmark and Spain. In Spain, uh, more electricity is produced by the wind than any other 
form of generation. So we have moved in 30 years, I would say, from, from nothing, naive eccentrics, uh, to being a major supplier uh, to the, to the uh, electricity grids around the world. But the motivation, economic uh, and environmental, and I think you can say uh, uh, a big dose of ideology. Thanks, Andrew, to share your very interesting thoughts on these things with us. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there today, but please join us next week when Andrew and I will continue this discussion. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.